Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Crystal Clodcast. I've entirely lost episode number track of where we're at. I think this might be episode 8, but I could be entirely wrong. Judge by what's written on the episode title on the on the show notes or whatever, not by what I'm saying. My name's Laura, I'm here hosting as <laughs> ever with Retta. Hello! Where are you on the internet? I am Super Retta on the internet. And Mia! Hello! You can find me on Twitter at OmiaGod. Eight sounds right, by the way. Episode eight. Eight, eight sounds right. So. I could probably check by just clicking on this handy little tab. Episode eight. Yes, it oh, is well episode done. eight. Yay. I, I vaguely know what I'm doing. I'm some kind of vaguely professional host. Um, <laughs> while I remember, go follow these two on Twitter because they, they should have all the followers and you will like the show. So go follow Mia and Retta on Twitter because that'd be a cool thing to do. This is because Retta was saying that this show now has more <laughs> followers than she does. Yeah, go find Super Retar on Twitter. <laughs> you know, clearly not all of you are following all of the show cards. So go, go do that. I think it's because my name's a hard S-U-P-A-R-R-A-Y-T-A-R. Well, if, you look at, if you look at who the podcast is following on Twitter, then that's... It's like yeah. four people. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty easy to find when you do it that way. Yeah, so uh, today we're going to be talking about five episodes of Steven Universe. We're going to be talking about episode 35, Lion 3, Straight to Video. Episode 36, Warp Tour. Episode 37, Alone Together. Episode 38, The Test. And episode 39, Future Vision. So that's our bunch of uh, episodes we're talking about. I believe the most recent episode we've seen is episode 123, Room for Ruby. I don't think there's been any new ones since no, we saw that. So that sounds right to me. That's, that's where we're up to, I think. Um, so, without any further ado, we'll start with episode 35, Lion 3, Straight to Video. Who wants to kick us off? This is the episode where I noticed that Stephen's voice is way deeper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, we you mentioned it somewhere toward the end of the last batch yeah, of episodes like, as well. The, but... the song in that episode you can hear is deeper, but I, I realised when I started watching this one, I was like, oh, okay, so the song, when they're on the island, his voice sounds deeper than it sounds in the episode, so I wonder if they recorded the song after they recorded the episode. Possibly, like, somewhere around this couple yeah. of episodes is like... <laughs> Oh, that's where that voice started to drop. Yeah, like when we sat down to watch it, maybe it's just because like we hadn't watched the previous ones like right there. But as soon as he talked, I was like, ooh, that's not what my brain was expecting him to sound like. So I don't know the answer to this. Is this an actual like teenage or child yeah, actor that has yeah. voice? I didn't know that. Yeah. I, I foolishly assumed that the way that most cartoons do, this was like just a, 30-year-old, a woman. 30-year-old woman putting on a, a teenage boy No, voice. it's like a 13-year-old kid when it starts. So okay, presumably well, they're like 15, That would explain the voice breaking. Yeah, yeah. Like, his voice like did break. So. Yeah. So that, yeah, we that, looked it up, didn't we, the first mm. time when we were like, hang on, his voice just got I, a lot deeper. I was initially curious if it was just like a voice acting, like deliberate voice acting decision because we were building up to like, at some point soon we get the episode mm. where he is conscious of the fact he's not aging and whether yeah. it was some deliberate thing there, but no, no, it's just an actual just, yeah. <laughs> voice actor with a voice dropping. Um, so this episode starts with um, Stevens at the Big Donut and... Again, we get more Sadie and Lars interaction. Sadie is fed up because Lars leaves early eating a donut, headphones on, mm-hmm. and go- leaves her to close up by herself. Lars is still a dick. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of almost sad to see. Like, Sadie's clearly working hard, but Lars is just like, 
just doesn't even say goodbye, just walks off like days over. There's something I think is really interesting. Is was uh, the lo- it was only a couple of episodes. It was two, three episodes ago that um, they were on the island. Mm. When was that? Uh, it was somewhere uh, number thirty. So that was five episodes ago. It was the last okay. time we really saw them interact. Uh, Sadie and Lars interact was on the island. And Sadie did really hurt Lars. Like, That's true. I, I don't know how much of this is... Like, this is the way I read this scene, and I might be reading too much into it, is that Sadie actively lied to Lars. She trapped him on an island and, you know, misled him, misled him into the situation where he ends up kissing her. I feel like there's a certain degree of Lars maybe feels right now like he can get away with a lot. Yeah. And she feels like she can't criticise him right I now. I think that's a good point. It, it, like, she deserves that. Yeah, because, like, while Lars is being a dick, he's, he is undeniably being a dick. He's eating a donut and just, like, headphones on, walking out the door, <laughs> leaving her to close up. She could criticise him for that and be like, no, no, get back here. Where are you going? Like, you're supposed to help me close up. She doesn't question it. She kind of sighs and resigns herself. Yeah, like she's used to it. I definitely read it as like, okay, yeah, this is my comeuppance and this is what I have to... I I can't be critical right now because that would be a bit hypocritical. I could see that. Yeah, that makes sense. It didn't occur to me at the time, but now you've mentioned it, I think that definitely could be it. Yeah. I don't know how much of that was intentional, but it's at least what I read. It works either way. I don't know. She lets him get away with a lot anyway because of... Like, there's the episode where he's asleep at the counter. Yeah, but she there at least criticises him for it. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Where like, she yeah. doesn't criti- criticise him here. Mm. Like, she doesn't even try yeah. in this episode. I don't think she really could if he's got his headphones on. <laughs> well, I think he only had one side on, the other side, I think, was off. I think I she right. could have said something if she really wanted Yeah, to. she could have tried to stop yeah. him going, but... Um, and we find out the the nice little sweet detail of Sadie's mum makes uh, makes her lunches and mm-hmm. you know that's nice. But Sadie feels a little bit patronized. <sighs> patronized. I the, the I word think she feels babied. That babied is the word I wrote down in my notes, and yeah. I wasn't sure if it felt like the right word, but it seems like she feels like she's being treated like a little child. Yeah. Mm. It's not necessarily She's kind of like, I'm an adult, I know what to do, you don't have to do that. I don't need the help, why are you treating me like I can't do this? Yeah, Mm. like, one of the notes that I have written down for it is that Sadie doesn't appreciate what her mum's doing for her, whereas Stephen is so desperate to have that connection with his mum, so that like when he goes home, he's kind of like, I wonder what my mum would have put in my lunch. I, I think I think it's a natural teenage reaction that most people go through in their sort of mid to late teens. Mm. The like, I'm independent. I'm an adult. I don't need your help. Don't make me feel like a child by making me feel yeah. like I need this help. I, I recall being in that phase. Yeah, I think a lot of people go through it, and I did that just not with lunches. <laughs> Anything to do with food, I was like, feed yeah. me. But I mean, like, <laughs> it's that specific brand of patronization where it's like. You are being made to feel like a small child that can't do it by yourself. Yeah. And she's not a fan. But as he said, Stephen then goes home and is like, oh, I wonder what sort of lunches my mum would have made me. I wish I knew more about my mum. Yeah. And Lion perks up at this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's that line, isn't it? It's he. It's another thing where it seems like something that Stephen says triggers a reaction Absolutely, from Lion. Yeah. Everything Lion yeah. does from here on is due to that line. It's trying to give yeah. Stephen what he said he it's wants. It's like, but you said you wanted this, so here's this. It's yeah. just like before. It's like you know he, it wants. Um, I'm not trained very well. Or yeah. Neither am I. Whatever he says. So Lion's like, okay, training room. 
it's it's interesting in that it it suggests that Lion was aware of the contents of his mane the whole time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, he was aware inside of me is things that will teach Stephen more about his mother. Mm. So presumably, did Rose teach Lion that? And say, like, there's things for Stephen inside these you. These are the things I'm putting inside you and they are for Stephen. Yeah. Give them to Stephen when the time is right. Because, like, that tape is in there and says for Stephen. So mm-hmm. Rose clearly intended... For Stephen to find it. Yeah, that's my interpretation. It's not like it was left there because she never got around to putting it anywhere else. No. It seems deliberately like the lion is for Stephen. This thing is for Stephen. And it's in like, when lion. it's when it's time, lion, yeah, let Stephen. Stephen know that mm-hmm. this stuff is here for him. I was going to say something, but I can't remember what I'm it was. I'm sorry. <laughs> you just had an expression on your face that was like, I have something to say, so I was getting ready. I'm yeah, sorry. like, I was thinking it, and then it just kind of poofed out my head. About lion right. and A lion was aware of the lion. stuff inside of him. I don't know. I'll get back to you. <laughs> well, we'll get back to it. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. um, so, Lion tries very hard to get Stephen to go inside the main. Initially, by lying on top of Stephen, where mm-hmm. Stephen sees this beautiful pink world and doesn't really notice any details, but it's like... I know what it was now. What was it? <laughs> it was um, that she probably didn't take into account that Stephen and his humanity would make him unable to breathe inside there. It, That's a good point. It does seem like an oversight on her part. Well, yeah, because he that. has to go really far in. And obviously the entire time he can't breathe, so he has to keep popping his head out to get yeah. like gasp in the air to continue what he's doing. Because gems don't breathe, do they? No. no. Because we see the ruby, ruby in space, space yeah. can breathe totally fine. So it, it does seem like it was just an oversight on her part. Yeah. But Stephen wouldn't be able to breathe in there because mm. it's a gem child. It's yeah, fine. So, yeah. No one really knew what the result would be and whether he'd need to breathe. Yeah. Um, there you go. That's what my point was. I knew point. I'd made something, but I couldn't remember yeah. what it was. So, um, before Stephen can really get at his grasp on what's going on inside Lion's mane, uh, Pearl starts panicking because Lion's lying on top of Stephen <laughs> and Stephen can't breathe, which brings us to something I want to ask a question about. Pearl watches Stephen sleep. Why? <laughs> yeah, um... She seemingly probably... she does this, like, every night, supposedly. It seems that way. I think it's probably, more than anything, a curiosity, because she doesn't understand it. I would understand the curiosity to, wa- like, watching a human sleep three, four, five, six, seven, eight times to understand the process of sleeping. Mm. Well, maybe when he first moved in, he had nightmares... From being away from his dad, you never know. If it was Garnet who said that she was watching Stephen, I would have been like, oh, that's sweet. Like a parent watching of the child. Pearl, it seems weird. Pearl and Stephen have a strange relationship at this point due to Rose. Yeah, like like, my my thought on it at first was, is this, you are the person that I was in love with, but you are (laughs) someone else now. And while you were unconscious, I'm going to stare at you and try and work out if there's any of your mum in you. That's kind of what I was thinking. That's what I got as well. Like, it's, is it's, Rose going to reform while you're asleep, maybe? Yeah. Just making sure? You know, I, or just, like, I'm going to stare at you and pretend that you're still Rose. And, mm-hmm. like, I saw it as a weird, slightly weird, creepy thing initially. Yeah. I stopped thinking that when there's a line where she can't keep watching Stephen and she goes to Garnet and Amethyst and says, I can't... Uh, Stephen won't let me watch him sleep anymore, so one of you two will have to do it for me. Yeah. Which suggests that it's maybe not about her own self-interest, that it is... More protection. Protection, like, nerves. Maybe Paranoia. she just realises, like, how vulnerable humans are when they're asleep. Mm. 
That makes it, sense. It is a period of like eight hours where where humans are just completely vulnerable and. So she's guarding him. It, yeah. it might be you are unconscious and you cannot do anything right now and. We're gems. We don't need to sleep. We should probably make sure no one attacks you while you sleep. I could see that, actually, because we've seen Pearl kind of have the bodyguard role. Yeah. So... And, it and makes... the gem warp is in the same room yeah. that Stephen sleeps in. And it makes sense, because Lion was sleeping on top of Stephen. Like, <laughs> Stephen is vulnerable when he's asleep. <laughs> That's true. She fulfilled her purpose. If yeah. It is she, she proved her own point of being there is sometimes things might happen, like Lion lying on top of Stephen, <laughs> which probably makes sure that his don't happen. True. <laughs> I just love that he fights them off with a pillow. Yeah. Because they don't go away when he's like, do, yeah. both of you get lost. I like that Stephen kind of bats them and both Lion and Pearl walk away on like four yeah. legs like an yeah. animal. <laughs> um, so Stephen goes back to sleep and plays a game that I'm going to call Chesskers, because it's Chesskers and chess combined into one, seemingly. Yeah, uh, against Dogcopter. Against Dogcopter, who gives a very weird speech that I didn't know quite how to make of. I felt like it was a very parental kind of speech, and it could be because Stephen had been thinking of his mum and what she would be like if she were that there. Makes sense. I just it, made a note that says, Dogcopter has great advice. Be yourself. Yeah, his <laughs> advice is very fitting to the show. It's basically like, don't worry about what anyone else thinks of you or how you present yourself or your appearance. You know, just be you and don't let anyone stop you because they'll appreciate your honesty yep. and Good openness. Advice. You know, listen to Dogcopter. Dogcopter knows what's up. Um, so the next time Stephen goes into that place at the end of the dogcopter dream, he describes it as feeling familiar. Mm. Do we think that this is because this is a place that Rose was very familiar with and he shares Rose's gem, perhaps? Or is there some other reason why this space feels familiar to him? I think that's the explanation that feels most likely and the one I like the most, just mm. as a potential other one. We have seen there is a physical hill and tree that looks like Rose's room in Beach City. And that's where Pearl trains. Yeah, so he has been to a place that looks like this before. Yeah. I I mean, I don't don't think that's what it is. I I like the thought of, like, there's some lingering of one of his mother's memories in him somewhere or something I think that's, like, a better explanation. Yeah. Um, So... You know, at this point, Stephen comes out of the dream again, and he puts Lion outside because Lion's trying to sleep on him again. And there's a point here that I thought was really interesting, because when you both watched this the last time, neither of you had lived with a cat yet. No. Um, the, The note I made was... Lion meows like our cat Smudge. Yes, yeah. that's definitely um, Smudge's kind of long yowling. It's, it's the I want to be let in or out of this room, <laughs> or I want feeding the. <laughs> she'll probably be doing it in the next room right now because <laughs> she's not allowed in because she's so loud. <laughs> I know. It's what was that? A, was that in any way different for you having now lived definitely. with a cat? Definitely. Yeah. I was just like, oh, it sounds so moony the first time I ever saw it, but this time I was like, oh, it sounds like Smudge when she wants to come in. Yeah, it's, Lion is definitely a cat. It, yeah. It's very definitely the, I, why are you keeping me in or out of this room mm-hmm. meow? It's a very distinctive yeah. kind There's of There's a lot of things that where Lion is very cat-like in this episode, though. Like, um, at the beginning, after Stephen's got the lunch out of the paper bag... Lion sticks his head in and gets his head stuck in this paper bag and is then walking backwards trying to get his head out. Yeah. I think it's funny as well because Lion is normally not 
a very expressive character in their yeah. face. But when they're left outside, there's kind of like the sad eyes, like, why? <laughs> Just like, why? How could you do this yep. to me? I, I find it amusing that, like, you're a giant muscular lion, and that's a very lightweight screen door that's probably like a mesh door. You could easily break that down if you wanted to get in. And, and Lion can teleport. Yeah. So they can presumably yeah. just teleport into the room if they but, wanted to. But, you know, you've been shut out. And they're like, but, but why? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, so Stephen realises at this point I can go in and out of Lion and there's a room in there. Mm-hmm. And he notices the hill. I just want to really quickly mention, it's a trap. It's an adorable trap. <laughs> <laughs> when, yeah, his lion lays on, like, yeah. oh, scratch my belly. And, yeah. like, no, and then he, he pins him into his mid and he's kind of like, the get in there. Yeah. yeah, it is an adorable trap. Um, <laughs> so Stephen sees the, the tree and there's a bunch of stuff under the tree. Here is a list of things I spotted <laughs> under that tree. Okay. Rose's flag mm-hmm. um, from the Gem War. Bismuth bubbled. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which I think, very interesting that Bismuth is there and bubbled from the start. Like this, yeah. it's miles and miles of episodes before we see Bismuth, but it's like, nope, she's there ready. Yeah, it, like doesn't Bismuth it's, turn up on like... I recognise Bismuth as a GM anyway. Because yeah. I have seen what the gem formations of Bismuth look Bismuth, like. Yeah, Bismuth yeah. looks fascinating. Like right? you can you can tell from this first introduction that like you could if you knew gems well enough you could be like that's going to be a Bismuth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Rose's sword is in there, which we kind of knew because that came out of Lion's head anyway. Yeah. Um, um, Rose's Mister Universe shirt, mm-hmm. a chest. That I don't think we've ever seen opened. No, not as far as I can can, remember. I can't remember that treasure chest ever being opened. Um, There is a photo of Rose and Greg together where Greg has a hot dog shoved in his face. Which is the same photo that Stephen broke the glass in inside of Greg's storage locker. So they both both had a copy of that picture. Like Clearly it was a picture they both liked. Mm. And the VHS Mm. tape for Stephen. Mm -hmm. Is there anything of note... Uh, anything else of note in that space or anything you want to say about those things that were in there? That was everything I had down. I didn't notice anything else. The thing, like, I think bismuth is definitely the most interesting thing. I, in here. I think it's fascinating that bismuth is in there and bubbled and that I never really thought much about it, but it is interesting that it's like you bubbled a gem and didn't put it with the rest of the bubble gem. That's what I was going to say, because it's a secret and no one actually knew about that space other than Rose, it would seem. Yeah, so, like, it's well thought out in that, like, it does seem like an early seed planted for Rose-kept secrets. Mm. And it's definitely, like, while everything in there was technically kept a secret, that seems like the big one that from early on you can say... Rose kept a pretty big secret from everyone. Yeah, because that doesn't... It's the thing that doesn't really match anything else in there. Everything else is sentimental mm. yeah. or personal, and then this is... That's a person yeah. trapped in here. <laughs> I also found it interesting that the universe shirt is on a coat hanger. It's on, so she's yeah. actually taken a coat hanger in and like hung it up. That's her little yeah. wardrobe. It's just the shirt. Oh, this reminds me of something that was mentioned in the comments of one of our recent episodes that I just wanted to bring up while I remembered yeah, it. Sure. We discussed where the gems were aware while they were in bubbles of the mm. fact that they were bubbled. Uh, a good example is when Peridot's bubbled and then later unbubbled. She comes out of the bubble 
in the middle of the same sentence that she was having right. when she went in. So seemingly it's instantaneous. They don't realise they've been in there. Right, okay. So that's just an observation okay. someone made that was interesting. That that's good and it makes it less, like, sadistic that they bubble gems yeah, and them it's, away. It's less like you've been consciously imprisoned. Mm. Like, bismuth is probably in there but completely unaware any time has passed since yeah. the bubbling. I see. Okay, that's um, interesting. So that's just the thing I thought was interesting and might come up later. Mm. Um, that does add some something interesting to when Bismuth comes out and he's very kind of oh, what's the word like very kind of gung ho about getting like, back to business and like making weapons. Because yeah. to Bismuth, presumably the gem war is still going on. Yeah. Yeah. Does anyone actively mention to her the war is over? Yeah. Like we've had. Like decades, we've had decades of peace, and like we don't need to fight. Mm. Um, I'm curious to watch out for that when we get to Bismuth's episode because seemingly she was popped during the war and then dropped straight back here. She's not aware that time has passed. Um, so Stephen gets the VHS and remembers, hey, the big donut has a VHS player. So he runs off to Sadie and is like, hey, there was a room and there was a tape for me. Can we go in, please? And he whispers it so Lars doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. It's just between Stephen and what Sadie. What do you... I, my interpretation was that Stephen whispered something about his mother. Yeah. Well, that was my impression at first. And I, some for some reason, didn't get that impression this time, necessarily. Like, I think it was... There was a room, I think it might be my mother's, there was a tape in there and a bunch of my mum's things, can we watch the tape? But maybe it wasn't, he knew specifically this would definitely be his mother's, but hey, hey, this might be a thing from my mum, can we look please, can we look please? It it seemed to me that there was definitely something about his mum mentioned, like Sadie's reaction doesn't seem the reaction of, I found this tape and I want to see what's on it. Yeah, it's something like, this might be to do with my mother. Mm. It's also unlike Stephen though, because he doesn't just announce it. That's like he always thinking, says yeah. it him and that's Lars at BFFs. That's why I think it but is something he, that... He, he knows yeah. that Lars would mock him. Exactly. Yeah. And he knows that Sadie wouldn't because mm. between say, uh, Lars and Sadie, I tried to combine their names into Sadie or Lady. <laughs> that's an ongoing <laughs> um, fusion, maybe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Lars is not on great terms with his parents. Mm. But Sadie at least know has parents that care about her, so like maybe she seemed a safer person yeah, to go to I in think that regard. Stephen wants to look cool for Lars. Yeah, he doesn't want to have feelings in yeah, front of Lars. Exactly. Oh. I think that's part of it. Um so we then get the tape. Is this the first time we see in the show Rose and Greg together? Interacting with each other. I believe so. I, believe yeah. so. I don't believe we see a proper good example of them interacting before this. And is um, this also the first time we hear Rose talk, not counting her voice in the room? I believe so. I believe this is the first time that not any imagination or mm. voice from the room, it's actually her talking. Yeah. Um, shortly before Stephen's birth, Greg still wanted to be seen as a cool, cool musician. He hadn't yet decided that he was a bit of a bit of an embarrassing loser. Mm. <laughs> it does seem like he wants Stephen's impression to be of him, like, yeah, playing the guitar and yeah. being the cool Mr. Universe character. They're, they're very light-hearted together. I was um, going to say that they do a lot of, like, cute couple things. Like, when she's filming and goes, Greg made a friend, Greg and it's a seagull sat on his belly. Yeah. On his sleeves. They, they, 
for all of the problems with their relationship, like we've been critical of their relationship before in that a lot of the time it seems like Rose is very patronizing of Greg. It sometimes seems like she sees him almost like a, like a plaything or a mm. pet or something. But this little interaction does seem very genuine. Yeah, I think it's a sign that although we see earlier stages in their relationship later where the dynamic is a little bit weird and imbalanced, yeah, it's not here. It yeah. seems here that they are just a normal couple. It, it feels like there's some parts of their relationship that we've not yet seen fleshed out in the show that could yeah. make a transition point between the start, which is, hey, this is an imbalanced, weird relationship. But by the time that they were ready to have a child together, they had matured to the point mm. of... Like, no, you are a healthy couple by that point. Yeah. I was going to say, it feels more like they're in sync with each other rather than, like, at the beginning, it starts out more with, like, an infatuation on Rose from Greg. And then Rose is just kind of like, eh, I'll play. Like, she's just kind of going with the flow, but they eventually care for each other. Eventually there is an actual bond there. Yeah. so then we get Rose's monologue, which I have a transcript of here and I may read out just because this may be the saddest moment in this whole show for me. It's very um, sad. Isn't it remarkable, Stephen? This world is full of so many possibilities. Each living thing has an entirely unique experience. The sights they see, the sounds they hear, the lives they live are so complicated and, and so simple. I can't wait for you to join them. Stephen... We can't both exist. I'm going to become half of you, and I need you to know that every moment you love being yourself, that's me loving you and loving being you. Because you're going to be something extraordinary. You're going to be a human being. So, oh my god, that that speech, beautiful. Um, The way that she turns the camera and does the second half of that monologue to the camera while Greg is away on the other side of the beach... I got the impression watching this that Greg did not know in advance that Rose would die. It seems that way. I thought that as well. She seems she. This seems to be a very personal monologue between her and Stephen, which is the "I'm going to quietly tell you we can't both exist," and that I'm going like she knew she was going to die for Stephen to exist. I feel like she didn't tell Greg because Greg wouldn't have agreed. I never thought of that, but I agree with you. Yeah, (laughs) it's a really good point. Like, it's the one time that she goes quiet and soft and turns the camera on herself mm. while Greg's away. Wow. It doesn't seem like a thing that she warned Greg, and I don't know how to feel about that. Yeah. Unless Greg is aware, but it makes him upset to talk or think about it. No, see, the thing is, Rose is someone we know who protects people from secrets, like Bismuth. Yeah. yeah. So I see, she, Rose being, she, like, yeah. I, I see Rose being like, you, I don't want you to worry about this. I'll stress about the fact that I'm about to die. And you don't she, think about this until she, you have to think about she it. She makes the decision on other people's behalf as to whether they can handle yeah. tough news. We've definitely seen that. I in think that's to do with her acting as a leader for so yeah. long. But mm. it's in some ways really unfair. That, oh, yeah, it yeah. Is, yeah. that like she doesn't give these people in her life the opportunity to have a say in mm. how things go forward. Mm. And while it was obviously important for her to, you know, leave a lasting legacy with Greg it's still really sad to think about the fact that, like, not only did Greg potentially end up losing Stephen because Stephen had to train with the gems, that he he didn't know in advance that his child's death was going to cause the the loss of his wife. Yeah, I never thought of that, but it makes so much sense. Yeah. Like, his reaction in this video... Child's birth 
You said death, by the way. Sorry, his child. His child. <laughs> but, sorry. but like, like Greg, like you know, wanting to be the cool dad and stuff. Yeah. That makes sense if he's not like, yeah, I want to be really cool when you die and this baby turns up. Yeah, and it plays into some stuff that I think is interesting about how this scene applies to some real world stuff. So, mm. a lot of this episode, I've seen a lot of people talk online. Um, Fans of Steven Universe who did not know their mothers growing up because their mothers cha- died during childbirth. Mm. Um, there's a lot of comparison points to make there because that is basically what the situation it is. Is in order for this child to be born, the mother died, mm-hmm. and in that kind of situation, the father doesn't go in knowing my wife is going to die for our child to be born. Mm. It adds on a lot of that same baggage. But it's, I don't know, it's its really nice that the message she leaves for Stephen is one that I think is a really beautiful way to make him not feel alone. It is, yeah. like, the, the, the line that is just really beautiful is, every moment you love being yourself, that's me loving you and loving being you. And I'm like, that is such a beautiful sentiment to be like, hey... Keep being happy. Don't be sad about me being gone, because mm-hmm. your happiness is my happiness. Exactly. And I'm like, oh, it's like, I'm not. I'm not really gone. I'm still yeah. with you. Yeah, yeah, it's also a way of saying you're never alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You'll never yeah, be alone because exactly. I will Which always be there nice. with you. Plays really interestingly into the Connie episode we get a few episodes from now. Mm-hmm. In that the just because someone's with <clears> you <throat> inside inside of you and is a part of you doesn't necessarily make you feel any less yeah, alone in the you world. You can still feel lonely. Yeah. You can still feel alone even if you know that someone's with you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I agree. it's two sides to a coin, but oh that 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 video is Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> the other line that I think is really interesting is when she says, take care of them, Stephen. Yeah. yeah. I like that it's not like, there are these people who will take care of you. It's like, I'll be gone and I kind of took care of these people. You've... Now you need to but take it, care of them. But that's so much pressure to put on Stephen. It yeah. You are a child. You have to get yourself to the point where you can look after these adults. Yeah, because presumably she means the gems and yeah. Greg. Yeah, it's, that is a lot of pressure to place on a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. So, we, I think that might be yeah. to do with when gems are born, they generally come out fully formed. But Stephen, yeah. being half human, came out as a baby. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's difficult. Um, I really like the, the quiet, somber way this episode ends as well, where mm. they both, Sadie and Stephen, quietly walk out of the room crying but happy. Lars is like, what the hell did you just watch? <laughs> I like that Lars doesn't make any jokes. Yeah. He's aware that something serious He's just serious like, something happened. serious happened. I don't know what the hell it was, <laughs> but something. I'll, I'll back yeah. off. And then Sadie just calls her mum and yeah. says like, hey, you don't have to stop making me sandwiches. And it's like, oh. Did... She appreciates She, she realises how, how big a deal it, it can be to have a mother yeah. around who cares about you and that you probably shouldn't push that away. Mm-hmm. And like, I like that then Stephen goes outside and hugs Lion. Oh, yeah. yeah it's it's, like a, it's, to me, I read that as like a thank you for yeah, doing thank, this. Thank yeah. you for, for doing this Yeah, morning, and like but, an apology for shouting yeah, earlier on. Like, I know you were just trying to help yeah. and like, thank you. <laughs> oh, I'm welling up. 
just where we are just cry I've nearly cried as well a few times I keep welling up talking about this one it's it is one of my favourite episodes of this show yeah it's, it's one of my most memorable like the, the yeah. especially the bit with um, Rose turning the camera around like that bit yeah. Yeah. burned into that, my mind that whole monologue by herself to the camera to Stephen is just beautiful mm. isn't this the first time that Stephen's actually seen his mother like talking as well he's only ever seen the picture of her that swung up yeah. in the house it's, it's the first proper <laughs> moment he's had of seeing his mother and what his mother yeah. was like mm. as far as we're aware yeah and it's it's sad um so yeah anything else we want to say about that episode or just and one other thing um about what rose says when she talks about unique experiences hmm. i took that to her being because obviously if she comes from gem society there's so many people are just duplicated and they're all exactly the same and are set in their roles. So I think that was Rose saying, here on Earth, everyone is unique and everybody is different. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I think she really appreciates coming from Gem Society. I definitely agree with that. Yeah, that definitely seems right. So um, next up we have episode 36, Warp Tour. Um, Stephen gets ill. He clearly has hay fever or something. Flowers make him very ill. Uh, in the warp, he sneezes, his head goes out the warp tunnel, and he sees something moving in the warp. Mm-hmm. I just really quickly want to just rewind a bit to oh, yeah, the very, go, very beginning of the Go episode. ahead, go ahead. Pearl and Amethyst are complimenting each other, and both of them are blushing when they're getting compliments. Yeah. They have the hearts for each other, because they're all lesbians, <laughs> even though they're non-binary space rocks, they present as female and use female pronouns, lesbian space rocks. <laughs> it is a cool sign of progress and continuity. Yeah. From where they start when they're constantly bickering. And yeah. They like, they're well, criticising like they, how each other fight. They don't want to become the giant woman, because they're just like, we only do that in emergencies, we don't like each yeah. other, so why shouldn't we do mm-hmm. it? Yeah, they definitely do bond a bit. Um... So Stephen sees something outside the warp. None of the gems believe him because he's Stephen. He's, he's an idiot. Um, it's, it's another episode where Stephen knows something that's true and none of the gems give him enough faith to yeah. follow they what he's saying. They all just dismiss him immediately. Yeah. Which we, they do like, all the time. With the way that Pearl words it, which is really patronising, is the thing you think you saw. Mm. Yeah, we, we get a bunch of that through this episode. Yeah, it's um, just like... So, Stephen's nervous about the thing he saw in the warp. Amethyst, like a big sister, teases him about his bedtime fears. (laughs) Oh, you scared of that thing in the dark? I'm going to tease you about it, Mm. make you more scared. (laughs) The warp monster. Yeah, it's going to come attack you in your sleep. (laughs) Is is that what's going to happen? Very much just big sister role. Um, Nobody entertains the thought that Stephen might be right. Mm -hmm. It's just not even a thing in their mind. I think part of that is to do with it being unthinkable that the gems would come to Earth after the war's been over. Because hasn't it been over for centuries? Yeah, it's been centuries. It shows their incredible arrogance, maybe. That they're like, no, no, look, nothing can come here. We know that. So therefore, you have to be wrong. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um... So they end up going to try and reassure Stephen. They go on a tour of old locations from the show. Mm-hmm. Stephen Jr. is a mother. Yeah, the goat we saw earlier on. Oh, baby goats. Stephen's a grandfather. <laughs> it's Garnet who insists that they check it out. Because they yeah. say if it helps Stephen to feel yeah. better, we will check seems, it out. Yeah, she seems to suggest it based on this will calm Stephen down. Let's yeah. do it for him. Not on... Like, she... It's interesting that with Future Vision, she doesn't even bother to look for possibilities. Well, that's no. being and, right, I know possibly. we all noticed it, but there is the moment when she says, I should have listened, and she touches 
yeah. in her eye as if she's like, should have done future vision, should have checked. Yeah, it's... It seems like she could... Maybe she has to make a conscious effort to use future yeah. vision and she... She's maybe kicking herself for not checking out the possibility of what if Stephen's right. Unless she did and she thought, okay, the possibility of Stephen being correct and something from Homeworld being in the warps is so incredibly unlikely there's no point entertaining it. And at that Mm. moment she's like, it was a chance, should have looked into it because it was a chance. Yeah. Um, That reminds me of the future Vision episode in that... That's what I'm thinking. I have things to say that I we, just thought. I mean, yeah, we'll go into it, but like, we learn that Future Vision is all about probability. Mm-hmm. So I do wonder if this moment, it's not that Garnet thought, this is impossible. It's that she thought, it's, this is so exceedingly I'm, unlikely. I'm not going to mm-hmm. check out a low possibility yeah. on Stephen's word, because that's not enough to make me check out a, a, an unlikely thing. Because presumably Garnet can basically spends her life seeing things that are incredibly unlikely and ignoring yeah. them. So that's the whole basis of the future vision <laughs> yeah. episode. Um, did you ever think you were going to say Ratter? Um, just that in the future vision episode, she does say that she steers the ship. Yeah, I yeah. like that. We'll get to that though. Yeah, <laughs> well, we'll get there. Um, so they finish going on their tour of old locations, and they're like, "See, Stephen, there was nothing." Um, you know, you didn't see anything, and now you feel better. <laughs> and Stephen tells Pearl, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. And Pearl's response is, excuse me? <laughs> she is furious that so Stephen insulted. suggested she's wrong. Yeah, how dare you suggest that I'm wrong, Stephen? Mm-hmm. It's it's so terrifyingly patronising. It is, yeah. I think it really shows Pearl's arrogance. And Yeah, that Stephen is passionately like, no... Believe me, I know what I saw, and she's like, "Yeah, but I know that you, your, your experience of life is less valid than my mm-hmm. opinions on your experience of life." And you can tell that um, Amethyst is used to being on the receiving end of Pearl being like this because yeah. she immediately kind of like shuffles over to Stephen's side, yeah. looking kind of shy, going, yeah. "Yeah, I think Pearl's right, little man. Like she's she's." Yeah. Always right. Well, you get used to it. I think knowledge is kind of the thing that Pearl is most proud of. She's yeah. like that's kind of her thing is you know knowing about everything and history and I think so. In that moment, I think she's like, no, no, I'm the one who's always right. I know what I'm talking about. Yeah, um, Pearl gets really sarcastic. She does her whole like, <laughs> mm-hmm. see, and here's the warps. But wait, they're all smashed up. Mm-hmm. You stuck one of your stickers on it to say that it smashed, didn't you? And the team gets so patronising to yeah, Stephen. Yeah, it's very it's... petty. Like, yeah. I could just, like, slap Pearl for that. I'm just like, screw you, Pearl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Stephen's response to this is, why is it so hard for anyone to listen to me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you just don't know what you're talking about. I think it's the thing as well, like, they all assume that they know how Stephen is feeling, but they don't, because they are different. Stephen is is human. Yeah, Mm. well, it's like, it's it's always frustrating when you know you saw a thing and can't prove it and people don't believe you. It's like, no, I know my experience of reality. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Um, So Stephen sat around in the house, He's he's like, fine, fine, I give up, there was nothing. And a toothpaste robot falls through the roof. 
I'm so glad that everyone has agreed that they had toothpaste. Oh, robot. yeah, they're squirting toothpaste. That's undeniable. Yep, I have literally just written toothpaste blobs. Yep, they're, they're little circular robots that go around squirting toothpaste that magically <laughs> heals things. I, I do think it's hilarious that Stephen's reaction on this is not to be scared, but to laugh. Yeah. he's like, I'm right, there is something. This is terrifying, but also I'm right. <laughs> ah! He's been so scared of something coming through when it finally mm-hmm. does. The relief of being right is greater than the fear. Well, yeah. I think for him, it's... The gems doubted him so severely that he began to doubt himself. And he was yes. like, maybe I didn't. It's- it seems like it's almost a response of hysteria. Yeah, it really it's, is. It's my worldview was almost shattered and now it's not. Have I gone mad? Was this something that didn't mm. exist? I don't know. <laughs> Everyone come out, look at it. Tell yeah. me that I'm correct. Um, so the toothpaste monster repairs the warp, warps away. Stephen tries to chase it and they both fall out the warp. Stephen nearly dies. Stephen cracks it though. When they're like yeah. fighting in the... Yeah, Stephen damages it, cracks. and then yeah. it's repaired. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's really interesting that you made the point about Stephen almost dying. Stephen almost dies because the gems didn't believe him when yeah. he said, trust me, I saw something. Yeah. And that's what leads to Stephen almost dying. And he I think that's that he's going to die so yeah. easily, though. But yes. He's like, I was yeah. right, and now... I'm gonna die. Oh. And he uses, he uses the um, wording that Amethyst does yeah. about him being like a sad sack, I think she says. Yeah. It's, I think that's the big motivator for the gems to start taking him more seriously, yeah. is if we'd listened to him and believed him when he told us he saw something and not written him off as, you know, not knowing what he's on about, you know, we might not have almost killed him. Mm-hmm. Um... So Garnet has a really nice line um, when she saves him. I should have listened to you. You're a crystal gem too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's it's this like, hey, you know, you might still be training, but you are one of us and we shouldn't write you off this quickly. Exactly. You know, you're still learning, but that doesn't mean you can't see a thing. Yeah. It's basically saying like, you are even with us. You are an equal, yeah. but we haven't been treating you we, as an We equal. shouldn't be talking down to you so mm. much. Um... And she also seems like she wipes away a little tear. Like, she puts her hand under her glasses. She almost loses Stephen. And Stephen is her favourite, obviously, as we know. You know, they have a special bond. Um, He's so cute. So, the toothpaste robots repair the homeworld warp. Mm -hmm. And we get our introduction to Peridot. (laughs) Which is super weird, because we've been watching, like... Season four or whatever it is. Yeah, th- this isn't like tiny bow tie wearing hyperactive. Like, yeah, ridiculous... doofy. I'm gonna make some meat morphs. <laughs> this is Peridot with the length, like big, tall, in control Peridot who mm-hmm. is definitely presented as like they're presented the way you usually present an end of the show villain. That like this might be the ultimate evil in the show. Yeah, they know what they're doing. They've got their like their floating warp screen. Um, they realise that the location is compromised and they, like, rush off to go get back up. I think the moment that makes her seem most terrifying, and it seems completely detached from anything about the character up where we are in season four. Mm-hmm. I know exactly what you're It's say. where she steps on and crushes <laughs> yeah. the baby. Like, Stephen's like, oh, they're her babies. And she just crushes it remorselessly. It's the one that Stephen cracked as well. Yeah. Well, it's like, and he it's... has one of its legs. So yeah. she's kind of like, well, you're damaged what you see. Yeah, you're, that, you're yeah. weak and damaged what you saw you. Just destroy she, it. She yeah. crushes it. It's mm-hmm. like, 
that's unthinkable at this point of, of Paradox, but it's where she starts. And like mm-hmm. her transition from here to season four is natural. It feels it like is, a naturally yeah. progressing character, yeah. but... Her voice is a lot lower when we first meet her as well, because she's very yeah. calm, collected, everything's just facts. And she still has, like, the lemon hearts, and so she's still presented vocally the way that you usually present a tall, statuesque character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even though we know that she's a small character with lemon hearts on. Mm-hmm. But maybe just that confidence of being big, she's like, yes, this is the low end of my voice, because I'm yeah. confident. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One thing that I do like is Pearl is a is completely at a loss when she sees the little toothpaste blobs. Mm. She's kind of like, I don't know. Because she's so proud of her knowledge of everything. When she uh, encounters something that she knows nothing about, she's kind of like, "Um, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to help because I have no idea what this is. So we get some continuity in that the reason that Peridot realises that, like, oh, there are still gems using the Earth Warps and that the Crystal Gems probably still exist is Stephen's crying breakfast friend sticker. Mm-hmm. That's what gives them away. Yeah, it's um, obviously not being completely <clears throat> abandoned because someone has been yeah, here. Yeah, someone's been here. Um, the site has been compromised. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the gems panic the fuck out. <laughs> um, <laughs> Pearl freaks out about war. Garnet smashes the homeworld warp. They are just like, nope, no thank you. I just have to say, when Garnet um, does a thing with a gauntlet to smash the homeworld warp, it looks a lot like the weighted gauntlets from yeah. before because oh, she made some really big yeah. and smashes. There's it. a few times there's ep- this batch of episodes where mm. it looks like she's doing the, the weighted gauntlets. Because yeah. when they're doing the working out on the beach mm-hmm. in the Future Vision episode, yeah. she uses the gauntlets as weights. So yeah. it's like, yeah. maybe you were right, Stephen, about weighted gauntlets. Yeah. Um... So yeah, that's everything I have to say on that that's episode. That's everything for me. It's, well, yeah, go sorry. on. <laughs> I was going to say, what I think is really, like you were saying about like Pearl freaking out, mm. what she specifically says is, um, oh, I've lost where I put it. Uh, there we go. She says, they're coming back. I can't do this. Not again. Yeah. yeah. It's like the prospect of another gem war. Is, but without Rose. I think the, yeah. the main thing is, I can't do this again, but the unspoken part of without Rose. Well, I think on that whole scene, the whole crystal gems, minus Steven, seem very frightened. Mm-hmm. Like, when Garnet grabs them and jumps behind the pillar and they're watching Peridot, you can see they're just like, what the hell does this mean? We, yeah. we know that the war was pretty violent. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of it is just... You know, this this is the catalyst for the end of the season. Like This is what yeah. starts propelling us towards the end of season one, and it's that whole moment of... We thought that we had squirreled ourselves away in a corner of the the universe where we would never have to deal with a homeworld society again. It's been hundreds of years, we thought it was behind us. Oh no, we can't go through another hellish war. Yeah. And that's, you know, an understandable thing for them to be scared about. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, next up after this is we get episode 37, Alone Together. Um, it's the fusion episode... I think it's really interesting that uh, the fusion dance practice that's going on, Stephen is largely paired with Amethyst. Yeah, also I noticed that the one who Stephen gets along the most with is Amethyst. They're both kind of laughing together. They're clearly a little bit in sync, more Mm -hmm. so than the rest. Um, There there is one thing that I think is really weird about the fusion dance practice, and Mm. I think it's an elephant in the room to be addressed. (laughs) Uh, Gem fusion dancing can often be fairly sexual in nature. 
Uh, particularly garnet pinning Pearl up against the wall yeah. and Pearl's blushing like that's... It wouldn't be that bad if Pearl didn't blush. It's that's... just it's just a couple yeah. of frames, isn't it? They're yes. really fast, but like Pearl looks away and blushes. Yeah, there's a lot of sexualized imagery in the way that mm. da- that dancing is done. I think it plays a lot into the way that often fusion is used as an analogue for a couple of things, but one of them being sex. Absolutely. Um, like, it, sometimes it's just relationships, sometimes it's platonic, sometimes it's, it's romantic, sometimes it's a sex metaphor. And there is something awkward about sexualized dancing with a kid. And like, a kid with their own parents. Yeah, that's... It's an elephant in the room, and I don't know what to make of it other than the fact that it's not exclusively a sex metaphor. It's just it quite often carries those connotations, and that's yeah. a bit weird to pair the like mm-hmm. sexually pressed up against the <clears> wall. <throat> okay, now you try, kid. Well, it seems to be garnets that are way more sexualized. Oh, yeah. Because like garnet also tries to teach Stephen the one where she like opens her legs, which mm-hmm. is the one where um, like amethyst like jumps into a crotch well, it, on it, one of the episodes. That, that's sense. the one where like Pearl covers Stephen. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, Garnet is an actual relationship, yeah. so it makes sense that she'd be the one who's more seeing it as a relationship. Yeah. yeah. She but, sees it as a weird poly, polyamorous yeah. relationship. It's like, right, jump on into this, this, this relationship we got going Join on. in. Um, well, Pearl does say when um, Stephen fuses with Connie, she does say it's inappropriate. Yeah. Interesting At word At the very choice. least, it's inappropriate. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that they're encouraging him to do fusion... While they're aware of the weird... Like, my suspicion, and the way I read this, was that they're trying to teach him about the the, the process of fusion, expecting him not to get it for several years. Mm. By the time that he's, like, 18 and that he's an adult, maybe by then he'll be ready for fusion, but we'll start teaching the groundwork now so he's ready then. Yeah. They didn't expect him to pick it up as a 13-year-old or whatever within a day. It doesn't seem like they're preparing to fuse with him when they're training. No, it seems like it's a, hey, we'll just sort of prep you for this direction. Oh, no, you fused. (laughs) Oh, no, this was inappropriate. (laughs) Well, the the take on it I had is that... um, Seeing Peridot kind of scares them into thinking, okay, we need to really get on board with Stephen's yeah. training. Yeah, we Steve need to start. needs to catch up with the training yeah. and get to where we need him to um, be. So they say to Stephen, like, don't worry about it being hard to do fusion. Fusion's really hard for all of us. Not for me. Not for me, says Garnet. <laughs> like, she makes it very <laughs> obvious that she's a fusion. She's not even hiding it. <laughs> no, but like, again, I, watching the first time around, still hadn't picked yep. up on it. I, I was like, oh yeah, no, you find it easy to fuse with them. Okay, that's. Yeah. I just took it on a surface level. Mm-hmm. I didn't stop to think, oh. I knew because I had it spoiled. Yeah. So when I was watching this, I remember watching it with you, Rekha, Yeah. And I remember seeing that line and I was like, hmm. It's, it's so <laughs> obvious in hindsight, but I just didn't yeah. think about it. Because the only yeah. times we'd seen fusion were presented as short one-offs that, you know functionally done and then we we unfuse it's, it's almost like the power rangers thing it's like oh this thing's really powerful let's fuse into the megazord and kill it yay now let's yeah. unfuse i never assumed that one of the power rangers was just a megazord yeah. the whole time <laughs> permanently yeah yeah um 
So I love that we did that in Power Rangers references. Yeah, that's how you have to. It's do topical. These the new film is out. Oh, that side note: that new film is weirdly tonally all over the place. Have you seen it? I have. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, don't um, spoil it because I I'm, do want to watch I'm, it. I'm not going to spoil it, but I'm going to give a brief spoiler-free example of how weirdly tonally okay, sure. disparate this film is. Um, there is a character that at one point is talking about their backstory involving. Um, distributing revenge porn. Jesus, really? So, like, it gets really weird and dark, and then, like, 30 seconds later, the next scene is, like, a bunch of, like, fart jokes. Oh it's God. weirdly totally back and forth. <laughs> okay. Um, so just be prepared for a whiplash of tones in yeah, that film. It's, okay. it's enjoyable in a weird way. Well, it looks like it's, like, it's aimed at us, not aimed it, at kids. It is. It's, it's definitely aimed at... It's... Considering that it looked so much like a Michael Bay Transformers movie, I was expecting it to play it very straight-faced. Yeah. It's very much the sort of goofy stupidness that the original 90s show mm. had, but with a layer of, like, dark backstories <laughs> and serious tones that are more appropriate to an adult audience. Okay. It feels like a show for kids that grew up on Power Rangers That's what I thought, yeah. and are coming back to rewatch it now. Mm. It's weird. Um, okay. So that was just my mini short review of the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers 2017 live action movie. I'm sure um, this this um, part won't be incredibly dated in a few years when someone goes back and listens through yeah, for, the, for their own Steven Universe M- movie reviews. It's fine <laughs> if you've not seen that film, future person who's listening years from now. Connie is scared to dance for fear of people staring at her. It's a very human and childlike thing of being like I yeah. don't want people to laugh at me for like, doing this thing I don't really know how to do she's, she's not envious of Stephen being able to fuse she seemingly is um, Stephen looks up to Connie and Connie looks up to Stephen for different reasons yeah um, so Stephen says hey there's no one to stare at you now well you're staring at me Stephen but other than that you know let's, <laughs> let's have a dance and one thing that I did yeah. notice is that Connie doesn't have her glasses on at all. Yeah, I noticed yeah. that as well. It's because they're not around the parents. Yeah. Does she leave them with her shoes? I think so. On her head. Wins. Yeah, they're not on her yeah. head. I, obviously... I think they're down on the sand by yeah. her shoes. Um, but their dancing is a lot more sort of uh, childlike and like silly freeform. Yeah, it's more shuffling and stuff. They yeah. do little bounces and like they both dance separately at other sides of the sand having their little like jump about dances. Mm-hmm. I have to say it makes me cringe every time I watch the episode when he puts the phone in the sand. So I'm like, that would get so much sand in it. It would damage the phone. Maybe he created a small bubble on the bottom of the phone <laughs> to stop the sand getting in. Who I knows? Like <laughs> um... So Stephen's about to fall over at the end of the dance, and and Connie catches Stephen. It's another role reversal. It, it's a flipping of the traditional gender positioning of what you would expect. Yeah. Of like, no, it's not the male ca- character sort of holding the the woman in the dipped the dipped end of dance mm. catch. It's no, it's the other way around. Yeah, and that's what makes them fuse. Um, Stevoni at first is seemingly confused about whether to refer to themselves in the first, second, or third person. They switch between my, your, and our when trying to describe um, Connie's shoes, Stavoni's feet, and them as people. Mm. They don't know how to express we are one person, but we're still two people. It's like one of them is having the individual thoughts and trying to 
speak to the other one without realising they are actually the other one as well. Yeah. Um, obviously, this is going to be a bit more terrifying for uh, Connie because <laughs> she has never seen anyone fuse and suddenly she's in someone else. Yeah, that, that does sound quite frightening for yeah. a child as well yeah. to go through. I think for either of them, it's like... To suddenly be, oh, this is what it's like to inhabit a physical form with someone else. It's got to be weirder. Sorry, carry on. No, you can giggle us. I was going to say it's got to be weirder for Connie because she, before she met Stephen, she had no idea this was even possible. Yeah, and she's a human child, completely human. This this I was going to say, like, presumably she's the first human ever in human history to fuse. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> that's that's an experience she has. Because I mean, I imagine. She's gonna write that on her resume. <laughs> yeah. I like. I imagine the reason that this is possible is because Stephen is half human, half yes. gem, which is why Rose and Greg couldn't fuse because yeah, cause... Greg has no um, gem part of him. At yeah. All. There there are allusions to that in this episode. Pearl says something about um, yeah, would Stephen even be able to fuse? Mm. Um, and again, when they have fused, it's like oh, humans can fuse. Obviously a reference to Pearl's knowledge that Greg and Rose tried to fuse but couldn't. Yeah. And I wonder if Stephen could fuse with Greg. I've had this thought before. Um, Inappropriate. It, it, would be, it would be kind of bittersweet. Yeah. In that it's going to give Greg an opportunity to find out what that would have been like. Mm-hmm. But equally, do, do you want the sex metaphor with father and son? Let's, okay, let's, let's let's put aside the sex metaphor okay. for a second and just look at the the like <laughs> the fusion metaphor. Okay, and that's weirder because that's the whole time that Greg and Rose wanted to fuse it was basically them wanting to have mm-hmm. their sex metaphor. Yeah, so it's um, kind of like oh, I couldn't fuse with. Whoops, I couldn't fuse yeah. with your mother, but I can fuse with you, son. Yeah, but like <laughs> putting that aside for a second, would it be like? A positive of hey, I finally got to experience that thing, or would it just make him sadder that he never got like, to experience I, it? Like with this the person, isn't the you aunt Rose, and like you're just reminding me that I never did get to mm. experience this with. Rose. I think like if they're willing to do it and ignore the kind of weird creepiness to it, there is an interesting story to tell there. Well, to be yeah. fair, there's a weird creepiness to the fact that he fused with Amethyst, if you want to put it that way, because Amethyst is like a sister to him. Like a sister, but not actually a sister. It's still weird. There's no no blood relation there. It's less weird than this is your biological father that you are having the weird sex metaphor with. He's been raised with them as like his parents and Amethyst is like a sister. I don't know. I never... When we get smoky quartz, that never read like a sex metaphor. No, to me. it didn't. It was more just like a, a well, thing that likes Stavani. S- smoky quartz as well is played as a very childish kind of Your... carefree character. There's nothing kind of mature about smoky quartz. I, I think the fact that they're defining connecting um, mental state is the fear of being not good enough. Mm-hmm. This sort of uh, shared paranoia about their own. Yeah. Uh, self-worth and I think that tone going in suggests it being more like a two people supporting each other in a platonic positive relationship yeah, I agree. rather than like Garnet pins Pearl up against the wall and Pearl blushes and there the tone is definitely set at sex metaphor mm-hmm. there's definitely nothing platonic going on there mm-hmm. yeah um, so I think like the context of the fusion is a big factor in yeah. whether it reads like a sex metaphor mm. um Garnet is ecstatic yeah. about this fusion. <laughs> Another giant clue. Yeah, she is very into it. 
Um, One thing I noticed is that um, Stavoni is the same height as Garnet, mm. which is interesting. Ooh. Two obviously. small children views to create one large adult. Yeah. yeah, and I was thinking, is that more of... Because obviously they're not white reflect, refractions or whatever the bloody hell the word is. But um, could it be that Stephen... Like, when he fuses, is his more of a redistribution of mass? Yeah, like, we yeah. kind of talked about this a little bit before recording. We really should have talked about that when we started recording. But um, the idea that Smoky Quartz has three arms because gems generally get extra limbs when they fuse, but because Connie's not a gem, she's physical matter like Steven, they just kind of stay the same it's still two arms two legs whereas the reason that Smokey gets a third arm rather than four arms is because Stephen's only half half gem so only half the additional limbs which is the one arm yeah it's it's not a foolproof thoughts on it but I we need him to fuse with more people to be able to like set that as a theory if all of his fusions with gems turn out to be three armed fusions then that would potentially set a precedent for like Mm. he's half gem therefore he only contributes one additional limb or something um Stevoni's name because Stevoni is not a fusion of two gems you don't get a resulting gem created Mm. that dictates the name the rest of them it's this is what gem I have, therefore that's what my name is. Amethyst picks out Stevoni's name. Yeah, I find that interesting. Stevoni yeah. takes the name based on Amethyst's suggestion because yeah. Stevoni doesn't seem to be aware of what they should be. Yes, Stephen, Connie, Stevoni. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they seem to take to the name relatively well. Mm. But it's not, unlike the rest of the fusions, it's not an inherent thing. They could decide they want a different name because... You know, they're a new person. Yeah. Um, then we get Garnet's little speech to them. You are not two people. You are not one person. You are an experience. Make sure you're a good one. Now go have fun. <laughs> it sets the tone for fusion pretty it well. It does, it does. And, you know, that's the kind of thing that someone who is a living fusion might have yeah, some insight exactly. into. Like, it. it... Says more about Garnet almost than just about Stevoni, because it's obviously saying that Garnet is kind of an experience. It's it's their love and it's their relationship. That's yeah. what Garnet is. Yes, and again, like that that scene has so much more context once you realise that Garnet is a permanent fusion. Yeah. You're like, oh, so that's just you talking <laughs> about how you experience mm-hmm. being a fusion yeah. like that. Um, should we talk briefly about the fact that uh, Stevoni uses entirely gender-neutral pronouns? Oh, yeah, there's a whole thing here about, like, Stevoni is a, a non-binary yeah. character. Um, I I love Stevoni as a canon non-binary character mm-hmm. in that, like, there are countless posts online that are really heartwarming to read of non-binary people who use Stevoni as a way to explain to young children yeah. what being non-binary is like and just being mm-hmm. like, this is Stevoni, you know, they're not this and they're not that, they're, you know, some, something, else. Someone, something else and that's okay. And, you know, yeah. you like Stevoni, right? Well, I'm like Stevoni, I'm not, <laughs> not either either side of that binary. Mm-hmm. And Stevoni is like, I can't think of a better non-binary character in a piece of media. I agree. I, I, oh, they're wonderful. I really like that they don't do anything with... Stevoni being concerned about what gender they are. No. Nope. Other people seem concerned mm. and unsure of what gender Stevoni is. Stevoni doesn't care. 
Stavonis completely <laughs> unfazed by their own gender. Yeah, which it works really well to the non-binary metaphor. Also, everyone seems to have a crush on Stavonis. Yeah. Regardless of their sexual orientation, yeah, everyone like, has a crush Sadie on... Sadie and Lars, as soon as Stavonis yeah, walks in with the blush on the cheek. Yeah, we're, we're definitely given the impression, and like, there's nothing to suggest otherwise, that both Lars and Connie are heterosexually attracted to each other mm. and don't have any same-sex attractions that we're aware of. Yeah. Lars and Sadie. Of, Lars and Sadie, what did I say? Connie. I'm, I'm tired. What? <laughs> I didn't even notice. Lars, it's just because if people yeah. are listening, they might yeah. get a little yeah. confused. Lars, Lars and Sadie have like appear to have attraction for each other. Mm-hmm. Neither of them expresses any same-sex attractions. Both of them appear to be heterosexual yeah. from what we know. Both of them are attracted to this non-binary character. I'm like, okay, I, I like that. <laughs> Just everyone's got the hots for Stavonis. There's did... also sour cream as well. He yeah, blushes. Yeah. Also, yeah. I did see a note that mentioned that um, they're very, very early on in the series, Lars says about Stephen, oh, it's just Stephen. It's not like Stephen's a hot girl or anything. Yeah. It's like, well, almost kind of is now. Like, it, it's would, now would, you like, would you like Stephen if Stephen was a hot non-binary person? Yeah, like, now you're attracted to this person, which is half of Stephen. Yeah, exactly. You know, Stephen doesn't have to be a hot girl for you to be interested in, you know. Just a hot non-binary person. Just, just you know, move away from that male side of the binary and, and Lars is far exactly, more interested. Exactly, Lars. Like, stop thinking in binary terms. Exactly. You know, Stephen... You'd be so much happier. Stephen is not the most masculine of, of men in the world anyway just you know let go of your preconceptions mm-hmm. about the binary mm-hmm. um so uh sassy stavoni critiques uh lars and sadie i don't think that's a very uh, very sound business practice <laughs> giving away free donuts just sassy walks out the door one thing that i did notice is that you can tell whether it's stevens or Connie's thought because of the pitch of the voice. Mm. They do definitely play with yeah. it with yeah. voice acting, yeah. With the higher pitch is Connie and the lower pitch is Steven. But they're both within like a range, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they're pretty similar, but they pitch up or down. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely. Like it's only slight, it's, but you yeah. can tell. I think it, it's meant to be ambiguous, and yeah. it's meant to be that Stevoni is still working out what they really are. Yeah. Because I think they seem a lot more confident when we see them again. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I think that, like, the line about unsound business practices is a really confident moment from Stevani. It's... Mm. I w- couldn't imagine either Stephen or Connie by themselves yeah, doing that. Yeah, that's what I think, because it's like, Stephen is very excited and nervous around Lars. Yeah. And normally very energetic in a kind of goofy way around them. But here's Stevoni is very cool and calm, yeah. which I think is Connie kind of tempering. They, they definitely, in that moment, are tempering each other's nerves and boosting yeah. up each other's positives. Exactly. And just being like, yeah, we're on this. Yeah, because at the other side, Connie would be far mm. too nervous to ever say anything like that. There's yeah. also a thing when they sit down with the uh, donuts where it's very clearly yeah. about like consent. Yeah. Because it's, we don't have to do this if you don't want to. No, I want yeah. to. It's it's just because they were okay, it's like, let's check back in and make sure consent mm. is still here and mm-hmm. that, like, you know, just because consent existed doesn't mean it still does. Are you still okay? Yeah. And Which... it's the two different donuts as well. The yeah. one that's mm-hmm. a, a complete circle and then the one with the hole in the middle. And yeah. then you stick them and together. And they stick yeah. them together and go, yeah, we're okay. Yeah. And then eat it. It's good because consent is about to become an even bigger theme in yeah. the next oh, Yeah, we... we... We've got some consent talk to do shortly. Um, but I thought it was really sad, that whole moment where Stevani got two donuts because they wanted to share them 
with another physical person. Mm-hmm. And it's this moment of, sure, we're both one being, but we as one being don't have anyone to share this with. Yeah. And that they both, as a new being, like, they're not two separate people anymore, they're one person, mm-hmm. and that one person can is going to feel lonely without anyone else. And that's... Yeah. That is really sad. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Sour Cream invites them to a rave. They all go to the rave. Stevani's dancing is amazing. And everyone <laughs> stares. Not because there's anything wrong with Stevani, but because Stevani fucking kills it on the dance floor. I think it's notable here that this is clearly a rave for teenagers and adults. Yes. Like, there are no kids here at all. But Stevani is basically a kid in a way. Yes, it is. Mentally. Um, yeah. An adult-bodied child, mm. um, which makes some of the stuff that yeah. happens later in this episode <laughs> even yeah. creepier and worse. So, um, as everyone starts staring at Stevani, Stevani gets very self-conscious, and I think this is meant to show that they're still children. Um, the way that the sort of nerves and paranoia about the eyes staring at them is presented is that Stevani shrinks down and is towered over yeah. by everyone, Everyone is much bigger than Stevani because Stevani is a child and they are big towering adults. I think more than anything else, I thought this bit was an amazing visual and understandable representation of what having a panic attack is like. Oh god, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, you just feel so small and insular yeah, and like the world is, is really ta- strange yeah. and kind of it's abstractly towering around yeah. you. It is a very good visual of... And she kind of retreats into her own world as yeah, well. Just yeah. trying to close everything away and be like, no, I just want to get away from everything. Yeah. It but is also oh. then Kevin appears. Okay, yeah. I can I just read my three notes I made in a row about Kevin? <laughs> mm-hmm. Fuck Kevin. Kevin is a rapey fuck. She told... Uh, they told you to back off. Back the fuck off, Kevin. <laughs> Yeah, that, that that seems a good good way to sum up yeah. what happens. Well, the thing <sighs> that really like gets me, like when she goes into her own world, and it's it's like she has a personal bubble. She this, they have a Kevin, personal yeah, bubble Kevin around them, that and space. Kevin yeah invades their personal exactly. space. Yeah, um, I again, I know I keep going to female pronouns at this particular scene, and the reason why I keep defaulting to that and having to stop myself and go to um, gender neutral pronouns is because so much of this feels like it's Connie doing the talking for Stevani here. I think also... Mm. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, go ahead. Um, yeah. I think also Kevin definitely sees Stevani as a girl at this yeah. point. Yeah, like, Well, he keeps calling them baby. Yeah. Yeah, which Stevani pushes back against. There is, yep. it's Stevani, I'm not your baby. It's I like the, that, yeah. Like, it's the, don't misgender me. Yeah, don't, don't push that on me. This is how I identify mm. back the fuck off. Mm. But... It is definitely a lot of the insecurities about being stared at a Connie. Is the, I agree completely. I feel yeah. like so much of this scene is Connie being yeah, the dominant part of Stevani. I think when Stevani shrinks as well, like my thought of that was maybe not like maybe not physically shrinking, but I think they're starting to unfuse. It's, it's yeah. the visual stuff we get with the um, the Stevani fusion episodes later, where. Connie, they're breaking apart because Connie hurt someone, or they're breaking apart because Stephen's, like, towered over by his Mm. mother and Bismuth and everyone. It's definitely that same, this is them tearing apart. Yeah, they're no longer kind of properly insane. It's definitely, this is the representation of Connie's concerns tearing them apart. I agree. Doesn't mean that that using gendered pronouns is correct for Stevani here, like, definitely should be using the singular non-gendered pronouns. 
but I know, I can see in myself why I keep going to default to them and having mm-hmm. to stop myself is because it's definitely more Connie than, than yeah, Stephen in this we're talking moment. about Connie's feelings yeah. and Connie's um, the, thoughts. Yeah, this and... is Stevoni with Connie bubbling to the surface. Yes, um, she's the one driving this. So, yeah... Uh, so basically Kevin invades Stavoni's personal space, um, pressures Stavoni to dance, and Stavoni's like, nope, back off. And Kevin keeps pre- pushing and is like, hey, you know, we're better than everyone else here. You should be dancing with me. Um, and Kevin won't back off. He He does a lot of things that are traditionally very... Very much like a sort of creepy, rapey representations. Yeah, like absolutely. the um, Stevoni walks away and wants to walk away, so Kevin puts the arm around so that Stevoni is pinned up against a wall by Kevin's arm position, and he's got all the control there, sort of being like, "Yep, you are here, and you're not moving because I've got you in this position." Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the, the sex and consent metaphor really yeah. like is turned up here, and I think that's why it's um, seen as. Like, Connie being more in charge a lot more, because... Well, Connie's the one who is more emotionally yeah. mature, and I think Connie understands what's happening more. Yeah, I think yeah. Stephen would be kind of innocent, just kind of like, yeah, okay, whatever, let's go. Yeah. yeah. I... There's that amazing line that comes after that bit, that's, you like dancing, but this dance isn't fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, it's... It's yeah. like, we're doing a thing that we like doing, but this person's making it not fun and mm. I don't like how we're doing this. Yeah, why Why doesn't this feel good? Yeah. What's, it's, it's really difficult because this scene is basically just, hey, hey, children, you are now going to experience what creepy, invasive, rapey adult men yeah. are like. Mm-hmm. Deal with that complicated emotional experience because this is a thing that happens to a lot of people, like men yeah. being aggress- sexually aggressive and mm-hmm. creepy and invasive deal with that kids yeah it's saying like a, th- a thing that you enjoy can not be enjoy not be enjoyable because the person that's is the person is kind of making you yeah, go you along with to. it on their terms just because it's an enjoyable activity yeah. doesn't mean that like it that you should have to enjoy it if you're yeah. not feeling enjoying yeah. the situation yeah, i think it's a thing with um you will enjoy the situation, but only if you are doing it with the right person. Yeah. Yeah, that's another way. You know, consent yeah. is the important thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. something enjoyable becomes unenjoyable if you're not consenting to the situation. Yeah. It's really creepy when you think that this is like a, a cartoon that children watch. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of like, that is a heavy message that it'll probably go straight over It's a really heads, important but... thing to hopefully sink into kids, this idea of, it's okay to not be happy if someone tries to force you to do something and to want them to back off. And, like, they're definitely painting Kevin as a villain here. It's like, this is not a good thing to do to people, and it's okay not to feel okay if this happens. Yeah. Well, that's Yeah, it's just, it's such an important thing to put in front of kids, this idea of, if someone does this, that's not okay, and it's okay for you to feel, like, bad about that. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, there's the bit where Steve only says, like, after the other bit, um, they say I don't want to dance anymore Yeah. Uh, but Kevin's trying to make them do yeah. something they don't want to do mm-hmm. it's Steve Wonder basically saying like I'm saying no I don't want to do this but Kevin's pressuring them into doing it anyway yeah um, so Stevoni then unfuses back into Stephen and Connie after doing like a rave dance after doing a rave dance it's the I'm going to do a big 
confident, like, aggressive dance to try and sort of, like, pressure you away. At yeah, it's like I'm doing this on my terms. Yeah, it's, and it's, this it's is... control back This is not about me. us, this is about me doing a thing. Yeah. And it takes... The, the only thing that gets Kevin to back off is the realisation that he has been flirting with two children. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, two oh, kids, I'm oh out. you were children, therefore I'll stop being a rapey fuck. Yeah, it's like, it's... Kevin recognises it's wrong when he realises that it's kids, but he doesn't see anything wrong with his behaviour when he's perceiving yeah. Stevonia as a woman. Yeah. Or at least as an adult. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's a difficult lot of baggage to unpack. Like, I think... I definitely get the impression that... I'm trying to work out how to word this. Mm. Stevonia is definitely non-binary, but I think the... Kevin reading them as feminine is definitely more on trying to present Kevin as a negative character, yeah. as someone that's not respecting Stavoni's identity. That's what I mean, yeah. Like, yeah. to be clear, when I say that Kevin perceiving them as a woman, that is because Stavoni's not a woman, but I think Kevin is kind of forcing that interpretation. Like, yes. that's how Kevin is, is viewing them and he's dead it's, set. It's how he's treating the situation. Yeah. It's the traditional coding of creepy guy pushing himself yeah. on one. Which says a lot about how Kevin is not respecting them. Yeah. And he's not actually seeing them for who they are, no. but seeing them for this kind of, this role and this character that Kevin's kind of invented over them. Yeah. Uh, I'm so ready for when we get the other episode where Kevin comes back, because... I didn't realise this episode would make me feel so tense. Yeah. yeah. And I am so ready for the, the comeback where, like, we get the, like, the moving on and emotionally processing and, mm. you know, getting over this. Because this really is a, like, as an adult watching this, this is yeah. tough to watch. I yeah. remember, like, I was kind of waiting for this one because I remember thinking once they get to the dance and once the colours become kind of more trippy like things do get very kind of uncomfortable it's like watching um, Jessica Jones oh yeah like yeah. that has some very uncomfortable there's, there's a lot of Jessica it. Jones-esque vibes yeah saying. like with consent um, and yeah. control so yeah mm. the, the episode ends with Stevon uh, with Stephen and Connie back to two individuals and they just dance at the rave because then they've got each other as two separate people and they're like yeah. I want to dance with you you want to dance with me that's fine and they have fun and they're okay because they're together without being alone together. I had just had a nice thought. Um, they get to be, like, when they unfuse and they're together and they're dancing together and stuff, they are also being surrounded by the thing that brought them together, which is glow sticks. Yeah, oh, it is really that. sweet. And um, most of them are red glow sticks, which yeah, is what Connie's they get the glow sticks thrown at them, yep. which is how they met. Yeah. Good point. Um, so the next episode up is probably going to be a little bit of a shorter one uh, to discuss. We've got episode 38, The Test. Mm. I thought this was so much earlier in the show. I did not realise this too. was so deep into season yeah, one. Yeah, it, it makes sense being placed here because, again, like, it's more... It deals with the themes of Stephen, Stephen's place in the team. And these that's kind of a question that comes up a lot around this point. Like, yeah. is, he, is he a crystal gem or not? Yeah, so... The episode kicks off with another example of Stephen trying to get the gems to engage with things that he finds fun. Mm. Kitchen Calamity. It may be played for fun, but the hunger is real. 
it's an overly complicated game that Stephen wins and everyone kind of humours him of like, we don't know what we were doing, but well done, yeah. you did a good thing. Which is kind of the theme of this episode is trying to make you feel good about yourself, Stephen, mm-hmm. by humouring you with your victories. I did find it very funny when Garnet reads out the card and she says, is it that she's the owner of the golden can opener? <laughs> yes. And there's a pause, which she sounds completely unamused and then just goes, yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Yes, you can now check your cans of soup for the alphabet bonus. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so Stephen goes to find another game. There's a bunch of knockoff games like um, Don't Disturb Parental Father Figure. Yeah. <laughs> Um, non-invasive operation. Um, I think every single one is a reference to a mm -hmm. board game. Yeah. And while Stephen's in there, he finds the Sea Spire statue. Um, If the Spire had been critical, if if the Spire had been crucial, we wouldn't have used it as a test for you. Yeah, I wrote that down as well. Mm -hmm. The Hell's line. Being like, yeah, like, of course we don't trust you with anything important. You know, yeah, you know, don't... don't Well, she's trying to be reassuring. It's... (laughs) Don't stress about the sh- the shrine being destroyed because it wasn't anything important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? we wouldn't have given you something important. You know, we weren't going to give you anything that like you would you needed to worry about destroying. I just love her reaction when she realizes that she's just let slip. It was a test because she kind of goes, "Oh, yeah." <laughs> um, and then she lets slip. Um, well, you know, it was in much worse shape than we thought. It, uh, you know, should have been easier. Should have been easier. <laughs> I failed an easy test. Um, so. Stephen basically is like, no, give me a proper test, let me try and do this again. And most of the things in this test harken back to episode 8, Serious Stephen. Mm, I the noticed that. Being chased by the rolling ball, the floor tile patterns, the crushing things from the ceiling. Yeah. It's all stuff from the first episode that was really about Stephen trying to be serious and take these missions seriously. Mm. Which we said at the time we were surprised by how dangerous the situation was. Yeah, but interestingly... Even though this is less actually dangerous because it's all faked danger, mm. Stephen takes this a lot more seriously than he does in yeah. Serious Stephen. He doesn't stop under a spiked platform to tune his ukulele. <laughs> like mm-hmm. he, It's the same sort of puzzles, but the growth for Stephen here is he actually takes it seriously this time. Yeah, he wants them to respect him and see him as mm. a crystal gem. I have one question about these tests. Mm. Mm. If the danger hadn't been faked, do we think Stephen would have survived rooms one and two? See, here's the thing I was trying to look for and I didn't catch. Room one, I think possibly. Mm. Room two, does Stephen get the pattern wrong or does he get it right? It's tough to tell from the angle. It looks like he gets it right. Mm. Okay. But that's I was, was unsure. Well, it makes oh, yeah. a certain noise when it goes through him. So I think he would have made it through Worm. Yeah, no, no, but... Room room number one, though, we know that the boulder won't crush him. And there is a shot where it shows how close it is to him. So I wonder if that's telling us, like, oh, it's getting close. That's what I was trying to work out, is did he legitimately stay ahead of it? Or is it showing it got that close and then slowed down and it stayed that close behind Mm -hmm. him because it couldn't hit him? Also, like when he jumps for um, like the the vine or whatever it is that he's he's grabbing to get over the jump... We don't see him make the entire jump from the side, so it's yeah. possible he kind of jumps and lands on the floor and then grabs it. It's possible. I like to think that the first two rooms he would have survived. Yeah. I like to think that that's the situation, is that he would have been okay mm. in the first two rooms. I think so. I'm not 100% certain, but I think so as well. That was at yeah. least my take when I was and watching at it. at least, 
let's say the third room where the spikes almost crush him. Had that been real, I think he'd have bubbled. Yeah. I think the reason that he doesn't bubble is because some part of him knows it's not real. Okay. That he can in some way sense it's not real. Because the bubble seems to be an instinctual reaction of, if you're in danger of getting hurt, the bubble pops up. Mm. I read his not bubbling as some part of him knowing that he wasn't at risk. That's interesting. I didn't put... Pers- I thought that um, he... Um, I don't know. That's a really good way of looking at it. It's, it's it? fine. Like, if you've got a different interpretation, <laughs> go ahead. My interpretation was that he would have been crushed. Yeah. Um, and that he didn't have the bubble already because of his confidence at that point. But I mean, it's just like... Yeah. I don't know. It's something I hadn't really thought about until you brought it up. And now I'm like, that's a good point, actually. I have a feeling, though, that Garnet set that room up so that he would realise it was fake. I I think she wanted him to come and see what they were saying so he could understand both sides of it. She has a bit of a hum at the end of the episode where, like, Stephen's doing his, like, I'm going to try and make you feel better as parents talk, and Garnet's like, yeah, this is what we were going for. I agree. I think, uh, I'm not sure if I agree that Garnet wanted Stephen to figure it out. But I do agree that at the end of the episode, Garnet knows Stephen's oh, faking yeah. it. Yeah, like, Garnet has to know at the end, like, hey, Stephen's humouring us, but he's doing it for the right reasons. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, how am I supposed to prove myself if they won't give me a challenge? Stephen's concern in this episode is, like, I want them to respect me, actually. Not to humour me, but to actually respect me. How is that ever going to happen if they don't let me try things? And they should respect him, because two episodes, or two or three episodes ago, he spotted a thing that none of them, el- yeah. none of them did, and could have warned them. Like, they should respect him at this He's point. He's proved that he is more resourceful, and in some in some areas, smarter than them in certain yeah. situations. Yeah, over and over again, he's yeah. done that. Yeah, so... Um, I have some bits of the, the the dialogue that Pearl has um, written down and from a transcript here. Mm. Uh, what's the point if he's not in any danger? The point is he's come so far and we need him to have another win. He can make Rose's bubble. He's pulled out Rose's shield twice, but he's lost his healing powers. We need to give him another success. He can't lose his confidence like that again. So initially, Pearl's all about like, hey, we're trying to boost up Stephen. The other side to this is the conversation about their their insecurities yeah. as parents. I really like Amethyst's line where she just mm. says, "We're bad at this." Yeah, which is like, we're, we can't raise Stephen. We don't know what he needs. Yeah, it's just yeah. like we're not doing it right. It's, we don't know what. What to do. I felt in this situation was the absence of Rose. Yeah, then it seems that they're kind of saying Rose would have been the good mother and known what to do with him. We're, yeah. We don't we, know what we, to do. Yeah, I've got a few bits of the transcript here from that. Amethyst says, we're bad at this. Pearl is initially shocked. What? Amethyst says, yeah, you can't control him and he shouldn't be taking advice from me and we don't have Rose to tell us what to do. Mm. Pearl responds, he needs us to show him how to be a gem. And Garnet's response, Stephen is not a gem. There's never been anything or anyone like Stephen. We don't know what he needs. And that's a big thing for a kid to hear is basically yeah. like your parents discussing, we don't know how to be parents. <laughs> we feel like we're kind of fucking up raising our kid. We're not raising our kid properly. Mm-hmm. 
how do we not fuck up our kid? Yeah, I mean, because when you're a kid, like, your parents are basically, like, God. They're kind of just, like, they're the ultimate being and all the universe. They know everything. They understand everything. Yep. At least if they're good parents. Yeah. And for a kid to kind of be like, oh, they're just kind of people and they don't really know what's going on. I think it's really helpful, though, that Stephen did see them talking about it. Yeah. Because it helps him to understand that they feel just as lost as he does. Yes. Yeah. And that that does... That him feeling lost isn't something that only he experiences. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think the last thing I wrote down in this episode to do with that was... Um, the the interesting way that this episode flips from its start to its end is that at the start, the gems feel like Stephen needs a win. By the end, Stephen can tell that the gems need a win. Yeah. They need to feel like they did something right and mm. successful mm-hmm. as parents. What I wrote down was um, Stephen gives the gems what they need instead of the gems giving Stephen what he yeah. needed, yeah. which is but what the they, point was. He ultimately gets what he needs in a roundabout way in that by being able to know that he made the gems feel better, he helped them, he probably feels like that's a victory. Yeah. Because he successfully helped the gems with something even they didn't know they needed mm-hmm. help with. Mm-hmm. And he probably does get his win from that. Yeah. It's not the win that he thought he was going to get, but it's the win that he probably needed. Mm, I agree. I think as a team, they're all much closer together yeah. because of this episode. Yeah, even though none of it's ever stated, it's all of them feel better after this. Mm. Mm. But I think it's another um, example of Stephen being strong for the gems. Yeah, which is what Rose said that he needed to yeah. do. Yeah, look after yeah. them, Stephen. And here's yeah. what he does. He does look after I, them. I love how often when we do a batch of five episodes, something from <laughs> earlier in that batch becomes really relevant later in yeah, the batch. When, <sighs> when I initially watched all these episodes, I just saw a lot of them as just individual episodes but in there's, time. there's so many interesting thematic ties yeah. like the fact that yeah like the beginning of this batch is look after them and by the end of this batch yeah Stephen is putting his own needs aside to look after them exactly it's the thing again though about it being a lot of pressure for a child oh god yeah, yeah. like he shouldn't have to be supporting his three mums no yeah they but, should be supporting him but, but he realises they need it they're, so they're humans and sometimes yeah. humans need support or they're not humans they're gems they're, but they're people I think. <laughs> they have the element that we would describe as humanity yeah um, <laughs> I, I was like, how do I would I word that? I was like, they have souls? And it's like, no, I don't want to go down that road. <laughs> do we not want to start implying they have... Uh, are you suggesting they don't have souls? Do, do gems not go to heaven? <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's not a conversation I want to have. <laughs> I, I'm sure there are probably some good theory videos out there somewhere about <laughs> the, about do, do gems go to heaven. Um, so that's everything I had for this episode. Anything else before we move on to our last one? It's... Basically, everything I had went over. The only other thing that I kind of wanted to quickly mention is this is one of the only times that we see a stunning lack of confidence from Garnet. Yes. Garnet's normally so stoic and so confident. She always knows what she's doing. But again, I think this also ties into when Peridot first appears and we see Garnet for the first time really not knowing what to do. Yeah, it's kind of like... uh... But in earlier episodes, it's always like, something's going wrong, get Garnet. Garnet will know what to do. Yeah, it's... And this is why I think it's important that the next episode is Future Vision, is we've had a couple of consistent episodes here where Garnet hasn't known how to react to situations, so it's important for us to get a a clear overview of exactly what her Future Vision is and why it's sometimes a little cloudy. Did you have anything else, Rhett? Mm-mm. Okay. 
Well, from there, then we shall lead into Future Vision, episode 39. Sorry, I daydreamed for a second, so That's I was okay. just kind I just, of like, what? That's just, all right. You were looking down, and I was like, are you looking at Noah? So I didn't no. want to move ahead. No, this is this is the, the last episode. Okay. It's all right. We, we, My we, other ones are over here. We do okay. long recordings. It's all right to say so. Stephen wants to grow up and be less of a burden on his gem parents. I wonder, is this meant to be a direct consequence of the end of the last episode mm-hmm. where he saw his parents as as flawed individuals that needed support and a win and his response is I need to grow up. Yeah, I think this is definitely following the theme yep. of these episodes. Oh, um, Stephen. Yeah, so Garnet explains how future vision works. Possible outcome. She sees possible outcomes to most situations. Um... Before she continues, I do just want to say it's lovely when Stephen says that, what was it, my middle name is Danger. Yeah. That's a lie. Your middle name is Cutie Pie. <laughs> it's nice because I thought that she was going to play it completely serious. Yeah, I thought she was going to play the, no, that joke is not funny because it is not accurate. But it's like, yeah. no, you made your own joke, darn it. You're learning humour. Um, she is cute. She described... Oh, One thing on, I want to mention just really quickly that I thought was fun is that when Garnet catches him... And then they, she puts him down and they're talking. There is a depressed breakfast pear in the background, a little teddy on the floor. <laughs> it just made me laugh yeah. when I saw, noticed it when they were talking. Yeah. We do see more of his kind of toys this episode, don't mm-hmm. we? Because there's like this, this cloud from Final Fantasy. Master of Ceremonies, Bear Bear. <laughs> there's the Sonic toy. Um, so yeah, we get we get a little more about the, the nature of her future vision. Possible outcomes to most situations... Time is like a river. I have the map and I sail the ship. I like that because it implies that she not only can see possible outcomes, but she can guide herself towards and certain ones. It's that thing that she tries to make clear to Stephen at the end is just because th- you can see where outcomes might go, it doesn't mean you don't have control over where you go. Yeah. You can make decisions using that map. I like that because, again, it's a nice message for kids. Yeah. Being like, you do have control over your own life and your own direction. Yeah. Like, there's all these things that could happen, but ultimately it's you who has control, not the situation. Yeah. You know, life might feel like a river. It might feel like it's pushing you along towards things. You can make a choice and go somewhere else, mm. um, which is nice. Um, so Stephen pushes Garnet for future information. Like, hey, so what's going to happen if I say hello to someone? <laughs> Um, I want to say with that, um, like when he mentions Lars and she says yeah. there's one possibility that he gives you a high five too that you get third degree burns. Yeah. He, regardless of, he knows that it's the less likely thing, he tries for the small possibility Which anyway. Which is the opposite of Garnet who ignores the small Your- possibility previously. Yeah. Stephen's optimistic. Stephen will go for the, 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 the chance of something good happening. Yep. Now, sorry about this. We're gonna we're just having a moment here. There may have been a slight cut there because uh, audacity broke, and we recorded the rest of talking about episode thirty nine without it actually recording properly. Seemingly, so yeah. um, we're Yay. gonna we're gonna try and jump back in and just re-say all the stuff that we said following that point. But if there's any weird inconsistencies, we're acknowledging that now. So, like, if any of us say something we've just said, yeah. that's why. Or if we miss out something, we might have known it, but mm-hmm. 
forgotten to re-say it, so we're going to try and jump back in. So um, You'll never know how good the end of the episode was. Oh, the end of the episode was so good. Yeah, it was amazing. I don't think we'll ever, ever record anything as good as that again. <laughs> so, Retty, you were saying, yeah, like, Stephen's an optimist. He goes for the, the, the low chance. Yeah, he's he doesn't mind facing, like, unimaginable odds. He's going to try for it anyway, because that's the type of person that Stephen is. I can't remember if I just said this, but it's because Stephen doesn't know the difference between like probability and what's exceedingly unlikely. Yeah, we, we <laughs> made the point of the difference between possibility and probability. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is what's happening here, because Stephen doesn't understand the kind of the chance of something happening because there's obviously a range of like likely, yes. extremely likely, unlikely. To Stephen, everything is just possible. Or even everything is just probable. Yes. And that's why he kind of... That's what he goes with for the rest of this episode. Which, which is why when we get the cutesy death montage, it's like, oh no, all of these are possible. <laughs> these are Therefore, happen. I should live my life assuming that everyone will happen to mm-hmm. me. And Stephen gets paranoid. Now, of the cutesy ways to die in the death montage, Cookie Cat, I never considered that you might be evil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We know that there's going to be some episodes coming up in which the gems do some not good things. And yeah, because is... Cookie Cat previously in episode one, yeah, clear. Well, not clearly, but presumably definitely implied. This planet from outer space, space. refugees yeah. from an interstellar oh, war. war. Uh, yeah, never left co- their family behind. Yeah, yeah left their left family their behind. behind. Most people probably haven't considered that the gems might be evil. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, so. Stephen's paranoid, he tries to make his sandwich, um, he's afraid to use the knife, and Garnet says, trust me when I say you are in control. And don't go on the roof. Um, Stephen doesn't listen to Garnet saying, you're in control. That's not what sinks in for him, it's the, what's going to happen if I go on the roof? Yeah. He focuses on the negative and the fear, rather than... Garnet's assertion, don't worry, you are in control, it's okay. Yeah, because that's what Stephen's kind of missing in this, is that he doesn't understand that he has control over what takes place. He thinks he's at the mercy mm. of probability. It's also kind of like an obnoxious thing, kid, though, when you kind of like, don't do that, and the kid will do it anyway. Because he put the idea in your head. Yeah. It's, the, the it's whole, like, like, oh, well, no, you've said I can't do it's it. It's like that, the whole like, thought thing with like, oh, don't think of a purple elephant. And everybody immediately thinks yeah. of it. It's like, don't go on the roof. He's then focused on the idea Yeah, of the go roof. on the roof. Well, we, yeah. we had this conversation in the bit that got deleted. Um, like, there's some, there's some kind of heavy stuff that goes along with Stephen going up on the roof. Because mm. Stephen decides to go up on the roof. And me and Mia's read on this, which differs from Retta's, um, was that we both saw this as like, he's trying to take control and he'd rather have... He'd rather have the negative outcome that he knows than live in fear of what negative thing yeah. is going to happen. Yeah, he, he's removing the probability from the situation of maybe something will go wrong yeah. and being like, okay, this bad thing is going to happen, but at least I know it's going to happen and there's yeah. no anxiety and fear of what else is going to happen. I now know what the outcome will be for certain rather than it being a question, and I'd rather that. It's an escape from the anxiety. Yeah, and again... Doing the he- little bit of heavy chat again, like, th- there are definitely some similarities between that reading of this scene and people feeling suicidal um, in terms of, like, I would rather the negative outcome that I know 
than live with the uncertain negative outcomes that I don't know. Yeah. I would rather take the outcome that I understand and know and know what it leads to. Mm. And that's a heavy thing. But Retta had a much less heavy interpretation of this, <laughs> which we're going to swiftly move to. Mine is more that um, it's just trying to show his maturity and that he fits in with the Crystal Gems. Because he, he's, he's crying and he's hiding under the table. And he gets really frustrated at himself for being scared because he's a Crystal Gem and he should be able to be brave yeah. and face all these dangers the same as the Crystal Gems do. Exactly. And I'm... that's when he then goes onto the roof and he's like, I'm scared of what will happen, but I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah, because fear isn't a crystal gem emotion. Yeah. No, he shouldn't be grabbing onto his teddy bear. He's meant to be a crystal gem. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And then we get onto like the, the, the ending of the episode. Garnet knew that it was highly likely Stephen would freak out at the future knowledge and become paranoid. But she told him anyway in the hopes they would grow closer. I took a risk at your expense. There was a chance you'd understand and we'd be closer. Yeah, and specifically, like, there was a chance you'd understand. Yeah. She, she gambled with... She didn't have good odds, but she gambled with Stephen's mental health because the reward of if she won was that they'd be closer together, which she wants and considers Stephen's kind of well-being worth mm-hmm. the price, which I think is... It's... She seems to understand that that wasn't the right thing to do. No, least. but it's scary that she was willing to make that gamble in the yeah. first place. Like um, she, she does look really kind of horrified when she realises, yeah. I have caused this and I've hurt you. It, it's difficult because she does explain what her side is and why she so felt the need to have someone to share it with. Mm. I see so many things that can hurt you. I should never have been one of them. Um... There are millions of possibilities for the future, but it's up to you to choose which one becomes reality. Please understand you choose your own future. Mm. It's this whole, like, hey, the world is terrifying. I'm constantly scared for you. But I know that you can make the choices that will keep you safe. I know you can, like, you can get where you need to be. Yeah. And, like, it's a good message for kids. Being yeah. like, you know, there are all these things going on and all these things that could happen, but you are in control and yeah. you can control where you end up. It, there and are, even against impossible odds, you still go for what you believe in. Yeah. yeah. There are times that that river of life might feel like it's rushing you towards things, but, you know, just because you have the map doesn't mean you can't choose to go a different direction. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, yeah, it's a really nice, sweet message. And then Garnet stops Stephen getting hit by lightning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and no one acknowledges it to Stephen. Yeah, I, th- I think it's, it's a fun moment that... She doesn't tell him that we yeah. just took place. Well, he says, what was that? And she just goes, nothing. Mm. It's all good. Don't don't stress. It's all good. Um, so there we go. We made it through episode 39. We redid that one. It's <laughs> all good. It's all over again. Thankfully, the episode, we lost, uh, the episode we lost was the shortest one of the batch. Because mm-hmm. we were able to relatively power through it. Yeah. Um, so with that, we should probably do self-promotion and things. Uh, Retta, where can people find you on the internet? I'm Super Retta pretty much everywhere these days. S-U-P-A-R-T-A-R-S-U-P-A-R-R-A-Y-T-A-R. That's it. I can spell, yeah. <laughs> uh, Mia, where are you on the internet? I am OmiaGod on Twitter. I also have a website, which is MiaViolet.com. I also have a Patreon, which supports the website and me staying alive, which is Patreon.com forward slash MiaViolet. Fantastic. Uh, I'm pretty much everywhere at Laura K. Buzz. Thank you very much for listening. We'll have another one next week. Bye.